There's crispy, and then there's crispy, er. Try our new and improved Tyson crispy chicken strips. Crispy just got crispy, er. Hello, everyone. You're listening to HBCU 468, the Roden Fellows Podcast. I'm Bill Roden.、Uh, we're recording this podcast on a overcast Wednesday morning here in New York.、Uh, my co-host Alana Barfield from Xavier University in New Orleans is on the line with me. Do, do you、uh, feel that the fact that LeBron James is not playing has allowed fans to focus on the greatness of other players like?、Uh, Kawhi Leonard, Kevin Durant, James Harden. What, what do you think, Alana? Yes,、um, I do think it allows to put the attention on great players that are in the league. I mean, if you look at the Bucks and you see the Greek,、um, you know he has really put that team back on the map, and it's a way to give an opportunity to other players to build up the next quote unquote LeBrons in the in the NBA. Um, you know, this has happened before. If you really look at in the early '90s with Michael Jordan and we know、um, when he retired, and they looked at the views and saying, you know, the NBA it has gone down. But you know, this is a great opportunity for the NBA to really market these players that are up and coming.、Uh, great points.、Uh, Tiffany Hoyt is、uh, with us today too from Howard. Hey, Tiffany,、uh, let me ask you a question: Are the playoffs?、Uh, same question: Are the playoffs? More or less fun to watch without、uh, King James. I think that from a from a journalist standpoint, yes, absolutely. There's a lot more to write about when LeBron isn't the number one headline,、uh, and you get to see great players like Joel and B step out.、Um, he's not a lackluster guy anymore. Now he's like a a pinnacle for the East and he, somebody that you want to write about. If he can stay well, yes, if he can stay well, but. All in all, I think that it just adds more storylines when you don't have LeBron there.、Uh, the Laker fan in me is a little hurt, but and then also like just the sports fan growing up because you, you're seeing a change in the era.、Um, it was kind of like when Kobe started to digress, you started to hear about other players, and that let、uh, Steph Curry into the fold. So it's just、uh, it's history repeating itself. You know, soon people will get older and they'll digress, and it'll be on to the next. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with both of you, Tiffany and Alana.、Uh, I, I think the playoffs have been great.、Uh, I, I I tend to always like playoffs in in all sports, just because that's when stuff gets serious. That's when stuff gets real.、Um, so yeah, I think that these playoffs are great. On a、uh, another note, we've got、uh, a little bittersweet lineup for you today.、Uh, Tiffany and Alana are graduating. And they're both moving on to new jobs, so we'll be talking to each of you about some of the biggest life lessons that you've learned from school, and、uh, what advice you've got for the next class of fellows. And、uh, we'll also be discussing another part of graduation: commencement speakers. You know, every year the undefeated publishes a list of all the commencement speakers and dates at HBCUs. This year, one of the most talked-about speakers is being protested.、Uh, Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms is scheduled to speak at Spelman College 
and some students are not really happy about that. Spelman alumni and journalist Cole Bragg has been covering the issue and is going to come on the show to help us understand why students are angry. Uh, but before we get into that issue, uh, Tiffany and Alana, I'm really, and uh, all of us at the Undefeated and uh, here at the Undefeated Podcast are so excited for you guys. Uh, by the time this episode posts on ESPN Radio, both of you guys are going to be official college graduates. So how are you, how are you feeling about stepping into this new phase of your life, uh, Alana? <laughs> um, well, it's definitely a bittersweet moment. You know, it really felt like I graduated from high school yesterday in some sense. Um, but I've also seen myself grow into the woman I'm supposed to be and, you know, the reporter I'm supposed to be. And especially with this year being in your fellowship, I've learned so much. And I am excited for my next chapter. And, you know, this is not a goodbye. This is a see you later. So, you know, I'm excited. <laughs> Alana said it best. It's kind of bittersweet. I was always one of those kids that never wanted to grow up. I was, like, trying to bring back time and not move it forward. And so uh, it's it's difficult for me to see, like, oh, I'm graduating college. But, um, you know, I, I'm assured in the fact that I know that I have put in a lot of work for my future, and I've been blessed to meet some great people along the way and, Howard has cultivated me into a young woman that's um, on a mission and dedicated to her path and journey. <laughs> and so uh, I- I'm just excited for the future. And uh, I just want to say thank you guys, uh, Mr. Roden, uh, John, Aaron. You guys have, like, really just opened so many mm-hmm. doors for us. Oh, well, the pleasure's been ours. It's just a pleasure seeing just how you guys have grown just from the time that we've been together in the year. And I uh, just look at the stuff that, we've learned from you. Let me ask you uh, guys, uh, if there was one or two or three lessons that you've learned from being at uh, Xavier and Howard respectively, what would those uh, lessons be? I know that's kind of tough, but what would those lessons be? Um, For lessons, I I think that you need to be a hard worker. You know, my HBCU, Xavier University of Louisiana, also I think it represents empowerment, black excellence, and perseverance, but lessons to really be an overall person, to be a person that people could come to you with new ideas and to be open-minded and to think outside the box and really to push your creative thinking. What about you, Tiffany? Um, Howard... Howard taught me a lot, man. I can't stress enough. Everyone needs to go to an HBCU. If you're a young black individual looking for college, HBCUs, they cultivate you in ways unimaginable. For instance, I had, I, I just had a friend, um, a younger, like, mentee of mine. She's a sophomore coming up, and she was like, um, I, when I'm applying for jobs, like, I get scared about checking the black box. I don't know if I'm going to get a job. And, like, I remember being, like, a freshman sophomore and feeling that way, like, um, not mm-hmm. necessarily confident in my blackness and understanding that, you know, a company that's not going to pick me because I checked black is not the company for me. And there's there is still a company out there for me, um, and there's a job out there for me. And these things are not flaws. They, are, they actually make you an asset, and they add to you. And that's something that my HBCU taught me. Um, like Alana said, a lot of hard work, 
a lot of effort. What you put out is what you're going to get back. Just that lesson of if you put good things into the world and, and you work nonstop, that process is going to happen for you. I tell everyone because they're like, oh, it's my junior year. I didn't get my first, like, serious internship until I was a Roden fellow going into my senior year, and doors will open up from there. So you just trust your process and just understand that, you know, um, your black is beautiful and you can succeed and you are capable of all things. Well, those are really great uh, insights. And uh, one of the things that I've really learned from working around you guys, you know, uh, you and the other Roden Fellows, is just hearing your perspective on life um, and on your journey and uh, just the sort of the maturity that um, actually you came in with. And it's been uh, really fascinating just to see how you sharpen uh, your insight. So, yeah, those, those are all, that's great advice. Uh, I'd like to move uh, on to our next topic. Uh, as all of us know, every May, uh, The Undefeated publishes a list of commencement dates and speakers for all 101 HBCUs. Uh, celebrity speakers this year include girls trip actress Regina Hall and rapper Common. Uh, Hall spoke at Dillard over the weekend, and Common spoke at FMU, uh, FMU last week and received an honorary doctorate. A few of the 2020 presidential candidates gave speeches as well. Uh, Better O'Rourke spoke at Paul Quinn College, and Senator Cory Booker addressed students at South Carolina State University. Now, some students are happy with their commitment to speakers. Others just want to get through it. And uh, sometimes uh, the students aren't that happy. Atlanta Mayor Tisha Lance Bottom is scheduled to speak at Spelman College, and some students are not really happy about that. Among the list of concerns are her policies on housing, homelessness, and policing. Uh, Cole Bragg is on the line with us today uh, to help us understand uh, the complaint against Bottom. Uh, Cole is a Mississippi-based journalist with a focus on criminal justice. She's also a Reveal Investigative Fellow and alum, more, most importantly, of Spelman College and the Columbia University School of Journalism. Hey, welcome to the show, Cole. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'd like to, uh, 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 well, we're going to dive into this, but before we do that, I'd like to get everyone's thoughts on what makes a good commencement speaker. And, Cole, what do you remember about your commencement speaker? Yeah, so I graduated Spelman in class of 2015, and we had um, we had Donna Brazil speak. And I think, I mean, to be honest, by the time you get to graduation, especially at an HBCU, it's really like a week of activities, early morning baccalaureates. Like Spelman has a tradition where we walk through the arches, and then we have like a class day. So by the time you get to graduation, you're already exhausted. So I don't actually remember <laughs> much about her remarks but I was happy at least to, like, know who she was. Um, um, so that was relatively exciting, I guess. I think she just told um, us to be happy with <laughs> as, long as, they're, <laughs> as long as they're noteworthy. Just, just be happy, right? No, I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, I didn't – I wasn't uh, necessarily opposed to her. I wasn't necessarily super excited. Um, but I, I was, I think she had a, a cameo on either Scandal or House of Cards, so that made me excited on, like, a surface level. 
we got kind of spoiled in recent years because you have big names that are coming out. Like, how are we had Barack Obama, and now it's just like um, anything less than that is just feels less than. Mm-hmm. Um, this is Alana, just, you know, jumping in. You know, just looking at a commencement speaker, like you said, Co, just having someone that you can relate to, right? You know, you see someone on the big screen and you get excited, you know, and you actually want to hear what that person is saying, you know, to connect to the audience, to connect to their words, to be relatable, to have humor, to have personality. I think these are all working in their favor, um, and also, you know, who they are as a person, um, you know, but even though it could be the biggest name out there, I think there's always going to be that one person that is not there, is not there for it, is just saying, you know, we should have somebody totally different. Um, and I think it just all depends on that person. And, you know, and overall, the speech is supposed to inspire um, different individuals or hopefully everyone in that audience that day. What has been the reaction, um, just briefly, Alana Tiffany, to to your commencement speakers coming to your schools? Well, yeah. Well, first off, this year, we basically we have three doctors talking. Um, so the setup of the commencement speakers that they're allotted three minutes each, which I think is interesting, and I don't know if they can really delve into their individual journey itself. So Dr. Johnson, Dr. Mahir, and Dr. Damon, um, they're all co-authors of the book Pulse of Perseverance. So for me, I don't know how much I will get out of it because I'm not on the track to be a doctor. And I know Xavier is really, you know, we produce the most doctors to go to medical school. Compared to last year, we had Nicole Hannah-Jones, and she's a journalist. So like I said, going, you know, you're, you're going to be connected to different people who come. So... I know some people are happy about the doctors, but we'll see. You'll see for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at Howard, yeah. Um, like I was saying, it's just we expected someone a little bigger because we always see Kasim Reed because um, he's, he's on our board of trustees. He's constantly an advisor to our president. So he's constantly here. And so when we think of our commencement speaker, after you have someone like Barack, you're like, okay, we got to step it up. Then we had Chadwick Bozeman. It was like, we were progressing on a um, consistent note of, like, having great people like Sam, you had calm income, or Diller had Regina Hall. So it was just like, mm-hmm. all right, okay, I guess. Um, a lot of people are, have been kind of upset, in all honesty. I've, I've heard a lot of my friends say, I'm not going because I feel like Howard <laughs> let me down because I wanted somebody different. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. a lot of people would be happy to have, like, that's why I thought it was so funny what uh, Co was saying, um, a lot of people would just be happy to have someone as well-known as Kasim Reed. And so it's interesting to see, like, we just kind of got a little spoiled and think that we're just, you know, spoiled children on the hill, uh, the hilltop. <laughs> um, yeah. and, and we're just not accepting of it. Yeah. Hey, Cole, uh, you've covered uh, the hashtag Not Keisha campaign for Scalawag magazine. Uh, what are some of the, the, the major reasons uh, that students are, are protesting major violence. Yeah, so I think, um, so basically the students, at, the seniors at Spelman College uh, are protesting Mayor Bottoms coming to speak at commencement, which will be weekend of the 18th. 
And I think a lot of people thought that maybe students were just upset that it was just the mayor, that she's just the mayor of Atlanta, she's local, et cetera. Um, that's really not um, what's driving the protest. It's more has to do with what Keisha Lance Bottoms represents is, yes, you know, black woman mayor, young, kind of like a hometown girl. And she's an HBCU grad. She's a member of Delta Second Theta Sorority Incorporated, like all these things that you would think that would make her relatable to an audience like Spellman. But what the students take issue with is more of like uh, what's underneath the surface, which has been kind of what, what a lot of students perceive as anti-black politics. You know, she's been in all three branches of city government. As a councilwoman, she, you know, voted for legislation that criminalized panhandling. You know, recently the biggest homeless shelter in Atlanta closed and there was really no follow-up plan. Now the police are enforcing, like, that you need, a, like, a permit to feed the homeless, which is a major community service activities for Spelman and in the Atlanta University Center at large. And then gentrification in Atlanta is really, really, really creeping up. More than that, more than creeping up, it's, it's there in the community around Spelman, which is a historic black neighborhood, um, the West End community, Vine City. Um, you know, they actually, you know, bulldozed a couple churches to rebuild that stadium. That stadium, the NFL stadium, the Mercedes-Benz Superdome, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> that held the Super Bowl this year for like millions of dollars, developers like bought out the church where Spelman was founded. And so I think that, you know, as an alum, like we've seen the neighborhood change, like, you know, now people, you can rent an Airbnb, you know, walking distance to homecoming. And some of my classmates have bought condos in the area, which would have been unheard of. And I've just graduated only four years ago. You know, I think in a lot of cities, we identify gentrification as having a white face, but for Keisha Lance Bottoms, and then also the president of Spelman College to be in support of a lot of development in the neighborhood, including, like, uh, I think there's this thing called there's the, the West End Mall is pretty much a staple for anybody who went to the went to college in the AUC. It's like a single-story mall. There's a Greek paraphernalia shop in there, pretty much like a shop that's like a brick-and-mortar Fashion Nova, you know, American Deli, and there's a black-and-white developer duo that's planning to get rid of that mall and put up a $300 million mixed-use building. And so, and so Spelman's president is in support of that. It's happening in Keisha City. So the students are, are feeling like the college picked someone who on the surface, yes, would be a great person to, you know, relate to young women about to go off into their respective fields. But they feel like if the college would have listened to them or, taken seriously any of their grievances with any of her policies that directly affect some of the students, um, then they wouldn't, they would have never chosen someone like her in the first place. And so the students did offer a solution. You know, they protested and said, Hey, Sonia Sanchez, you know, the renowned poet is mm. going to be receiving yeah. an honorary degree that day too. So why can't we just have her? And I think both the mayor's office and Selma's administration doesn't want to take that step to, cause I mean, I think actually one of the students I interviewed says it, said it well, like it's already bad press to have this protest, but to rescind that offer, they know that that's going to be even worse press. So they kind of knew what they were working with. Um, so that's, it's kind of been interesting because it, it brings up a lot of tensions around um, representative politics, respectability politics, which I love Spelman, but um, I think a lot of people who go to HBCUs understand that, you know, the institutions are trying to protect their brand and also trying to protect their students. So sometimes it comes from a place of love, but it all has come up around this one protest that kind of makes it awkward because 
I think a lot of the students, they feel like they've tried to hold Mayor Bottoms accountable in community and at uh, city council meetings and around policing and all these things. And so now they're just like kind of, it's come to a head because she's about to come through the gate. Mm. Also, Cole, um, did you ever find it difficult, you know, writing the story, you know, since you are a Spelman alumna, um, you know, seeing about the protests, seeing about the politics that's going into this, did you ever find you, you know, having trouble writing this? I've been wanting to write about Mayor Bottoms for a while, pretty much since she was campaigning just because she wasn't Kasim Reed's administration and that administration, what where she was a city councilwoman underneath him. And that administration is known best for its scandals of like bribery and corruption, et cetera. So I just wanted to know like what, and just knowing her different policies throughout the years, I, and you know, and then seeing the reaction to her winning, it was like, Oh my God, black girl magic. We got a mayor named Keisha is like the name of a song that a, a local rapper put out. It was like everyone in Atlanta, can be very complacent with just like, oh, we got black people running the city, so everything's fine, but, and, and then not really peeling back the layers of the onion beyond that. So, and I think Spellman to an extent can do the same. And, you know, having gone there, you know, I was editor in chief of the paper there, you feel those institutional pressures in different ways. And so I had, I felt like I was in a position where I could kind of navigate that because I think the stories that I saw come out were just like little, little nuggets of stories that were just kind of like, oh, these students are raising hell. Like, oh, wow, look at that. What's going on over at Spelman? But not really getting into, like, the complexities behind how these students feel at Spelman. And, you know, one of the students who I interviewed for the piece, Clarissa Brooks, you know, she is a student who's done a lot of, she's a published journalist, um, and she did a piece about Spelman and the sexual assault culture at HBCUs and how it can be awkward, especially when Spelman students are bringing allegations against or are victims of assault from uh, men across the street at Morehouse and how the institutions don't really always fight in the students' best interest. Again, it comes back to, like, fighting for the name first. And Spelman totally threw her under the bus for that article, claimed she didn't call you know what I mean? It was, and, and made her attach a statement to that article. Um, I think she went through a lot of trauma just based on, and, and she was, she did the reporting. Um, and I think that, and it's hard to, to kind of critique a place that you love so much, but I think there's another student in the piece who says like, as long as I'm making this place safer for, you know, the next girls behind me, then that's all I really care about. Um, and so I think like, it's hard to write about. It's kind of like when it's like, as you get older, you kind of realize like your parents aren't perfect and you're kind of like, Ooh, like, you know, you touch on some things that like, you know, you kind of only can realize with a little bit of distance and wisdom. But I think that Scalawag let me do it in a, in a way where I was able to write with authority about things that I just know to be true from having matriculated through there. Um, So yeah, I was glad to, I was glad that as an alumna, I could write the piece because, um, there are some things you can only know from having gone there. So how do you think that um, the selection of a lot of these controversial speakers at HBCUs, like what do you think that has to say about HBCUs and in totality? Because I know even at Howard we had a situation where um, we had Betsy DeVoe on campus and there's constantly these people on campus that are not aligning with the views of the students. They don't necessarily align with, the views of the diaspora. And um, so what do you think that says about HBCUs? Yeah, I think it's tricky. So I think on one hand, like, 
I know like Spelman has always, Spelman is a small, it's the number one HBCU, but it's small. And it's always depended on, you know, donorship. Like we have the Rockefellers, our huge, huge family that has donated to Spelman over time. So I think they always have to be sensitive. And I think a lot of HBCUs have to be sensitive to the fact that we operate from a deficit compared to a lot of PWIs. So it's like, I understand from an institutional perspective, not wanting to turn away anybody because in turn, that can mean turning away money down the line. But at the same time, you know, that, that doesn't fall on the students. So I think students sometimes raise or get in a funk about commencement speakers because there's a lot of first-generation students. There's a lot of people who have, will spend, you know, the next decades of their life paying off debts or, um, you know, have gone through a lot of sacrifices. A lot of students I've encountered have been homeless um, trying to matriculate through HBCUs. So it's like commitment means so much to us as a people, especially at HBCUs, because it's like a lot of people decide to go to them for the experience and not necessarily because they got funding to do so and et cetera. And so I think that that pressure around having you know, a rock star commencement speaker has to do with the fact that you just want everything to be perfect and you feel like, you know, you should be celebrating that way. And that, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I also, I also think that HBCUs are uniquely positioned to create, I hate the word woke, but for lack of a better word, woke or like fully rounded, well-rounded individuals who come out, you know, ready for the world. I think there's like that a lot of people will say, like, oh, like, you went to HBCU, so you don't really know what the real world is like. And I obviously disagree with that. I think that you are able to really form your views and be ready for the world in a way that, like, at a PWI, you're just not able to do that because you're not being poured into in the same way. And so I think that that, in turn, <laughs> creates people who are more than well-equipped to come with receipts on why they don't want certain people affiliated with what's supposed to be a celebration or to be on their campus at all with it without at least some pushback. And then also we have to think about the fact that this is a very social media driven era where it's like, you know, um, commencement is a flex. So if you have Diddy at your commencement, that's a flex. Like you have the president of the United States or the first lady, you know, Spelman in 2011, 2012, back to back had Oprah and then Michelle Obama. So after that, anything after that kind of seems, I think, like someone was saying earlier, like, oh, like, well, how can we top it? How can we get Beyonce? And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it comes from a place of just wanting your HBCU to, like, have the best. That, that's, that's, that's pretty intriguing. Uh, uh, before we uh, move on, are you going to go to the uh, the, the uh the commencement, are you interested in hearing what she has to say and the, and the reception? So I would I would go if I could. I actually have to be at a wedding for a Spelman sister that weekend. But I am very, very interested in following. Because, you know, every, they tell us to put our phones away during graduation, but that never happens. Um, <laughs> so I'll be, I'll be watching to see what the students do, if there's any pushback, if there's any um, reaction. Because I know, I think it was... Um, what school was it down in Florida, Bethune-Cookman, when Betsy DeVos was the commencement speaker um, right when she right. became Secretary of Education, and they turned their backs to her, and they booed, and the administration yeah. was furious. But, you know, you had to have known that you were going to get that kind of reaction ahead of time. But, you know, it is what it is. Right. Get up twice 
keep my head up high, make that sacrifice. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I won't minimize. You won't in my life. I'm gon' win this fight. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Say I'm not good. Say I'm too bold. I'm coming on strong. Say I'm too this. Say I'm too that. Well that's too bad. It ain't a secret. That's how we treat it. But I still believe it. I'm minutes that we've got left we're gonna we're gonna go from i don't know the either ridiculous or sublime or maybe this goes in in concert with the wedding you're attending um the, the birth of the royal baby has been a very hot topic uh, the duke and duchess of sussex aka prince harry and duchess megan markle introduced their baby boy to the world last week and so this has made uh this has made headlines because, uh, A, the birth of royal babies tend to do that, but also this will be the first biracial baby in recent history, and uh, he will have dual citizenship. Uh, interesting that the number of people who identify as mixed race is, is growing. And so I'm wondering what each of you, you know, Tiffany, Alana, Nicole, what, what do you guys uh, think, think about this? What are students saying about this first, and what do you guys think about this? Zalana, um, you know, I mean, when we heard that the baby's here, everybody was happy on my campus. Um, I think for me, just seeing the headline, for instance, CNN put out, how black will the royal baby be? It's ridiculous. <laughs> to see that headline, it's, are you kidding me? And I'm, I'm mixed. My mom is Greek and my dad is black. And it should not matter. Like, of course, yes, the royal baby is, at the end of the day is black. It has Black in it. It shouldn't. It shouldn't matter. Um, and just seeing these headlines being put on, you know, especially with CNN, it just shows the lack of diversity in these places. And you know, it goes back into that stereotype of what we're talking about. And it there needs to be a change. And it, it really shouldn't matter. Let me ask you this, Alana. Uh, your yeah. your your mom is Greek. Your dad is is black. How do you identify? And what, as you got older, what was so your your philosophy about identity? I mean, you clearly went to an HBCU, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, how, what 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 was your evolving philosophy about how you would identify? Um, well, of course, I mean, any application I check off, I'm African American because I am. But I mean, me being Greek or me being African American, it doesn't make me less of either or. It's not me picking sides. It's not. I am who I am, and it, I am a Greek African American woman. And look at me like that. Um, but I, I'm, I'm I have black in me, and I connect with each of my roots, and I connect with um, each of my sides. So I it, it has helped me who become who I am, and just the values and the lessons I've learned through through my culture. And um, yeah, it, it 
really has become the woman I am today. Mm-hmm. What about you, Tiffany? What, what, what are your thoughts? I actually was thinking of it from more of a standpoint of, I, did, I thought it was so funny how quickly they had to announce everything. Like, Megan just had the baby, like, two days ago, and she just had her first press conference. I'm like, wow, like, can she heal? Can she heal a little bit? Can she, like, gather herself? Um, and the baby was outside, but I think that's just a part of, like, that's a royal family. And so the baby is not necessarily theirs. It's England's. It's, it's the... <laughs> Yeah, it, it belongs to the people, per se. And uh, I just thought that that dynamic is very interesting from, like, an American perspective. Carl, what do you think as a, as a, a, as a, as a woman of color, also as a journalist, what, what's been your take on this phenomenon from the marriage to the birth, from the marriage to the announcement of the pregnancy to the birth? Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised that they, I feel like the media – has made and probably will continue to make some missteps in terms of covering um, this union and this baby. I mean, um, I think England likes to pretend, and as much as Europe likes to pretend that the only country with a race issue is the United States. And so I think that just in the way the tabloids have covered Meghan to the point where Harry has had to tell them to, you know, basically stop being racist, um, or, you know, and I think that's part of the reason why they've really retreated uh, more so than, you know, Prince William and Kate from the eye because they are under such scrutiny. And I think, I mean, it's obviously because Megan is black and I just, I, I don't know. I think that it's going to, it is frustrating to see. I saw that CNN headline. Um, I think the New York Times, their push notification was like, oh my God, this interracial baby. And then their... They, I mean, they did do some in the piece about, you know, how people feel about it. Yeah, and I think that I think that it's forcing people to realize that I think people feel like, oh, like, you know, we're all just one race, or that's how people like to think, or people like to think that they don't see color. But when it comes out in, you know, when you still see racism and people fumbling over how to cover it when Megan is half black and and – People are just, for some reason, that is throwing, or I don't know, I forget her, it's whatever, her racial makeup is not important. If she identifies as black, her mother is black, it doesn't matter. Um, but I think that it's just showing that we are very under-equipped in how to cover people of mixed race when <laughs> this world is increasing, increasingly mixed. And I think that mixed babies are still just kind of seen as like, almost like a commodity, almost like an accessory. Mm-hmm. And I think... That's troubling to see. Like, I see, you know, all the time. Like, I think recently there was something on social media about, like, some football players being like, we got mixed babies. You know, YG at, at yeah. uh, Nipsey Hussle's funeral was, like, almost dropped an expletive talking about his daughters or whatever, aside from the point. But, you know, excited about particularly raising mixed girls. And I think that we have, like, a two-sided problem where, one, there's, like, the side where people just don't believe in the mixing of the races, which is obviously very white supremacist or whatever it comes from. And then there's the other side of it where people are like, yeah, like, you know, there's like an exotization, exotization of like people who are mixed. And so we, that I think we have a lot of, lot to work out. And I think that that's prevalent even in who is reporting the stories, like in these newsrooms, we don't have it together. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, again, we could talk about this for long, but I, I'd like to go back to you, Alana, because I, 
I, I wonder about this too. As a journalist, has has the fact that you know, you you have parentage of, of different racial and ethnic origins, as you go on as a journalist and it comes to identifying people, how do you do that? Because you know, as journalists, we deal with snapshots. It's easy to say, Derek Jeter, who's African American, or this and. Uh, there's, there's somebody a, a player, quarterback from the Kansas City Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, black and white. How do you, uh, or how would you suggest, or how would you, Alana, as you go on your career, how do you deal with identification? I think knowing who you are and what you bring to the table, especially journalistic speaking. No, if you know how to talk to somebody, it shouldn't matter your race. And I, I really say this. Like, I, I can have conversations with someone who is white. I can have someone conversation with someone who is Hispanic. I mean, growing up in Boston, where I'm originally from, um, people look at me and they think I'm Dominican. Um, so I think it just really it differs wherever you are location-wise. And, you know, down here in New Orleans, they just think I'm Creole. So it's interesting but at the same time, like I said, if you know, if you're a good journalist, you know how to ask those questions that are important and you can connect with your source, I think that's what that's all that matters. Especially, it's, it is, I've noticed too, you know, when you are talking to someone who is black and they're trying to have a conversation with you via phone, and this has happened, and they, you know, tiptoe around what they really want to say, you know. And when you say, oh, I can understand where you're coming from, I am black also, they open up right away. It's like their whole, they put their guard down. So it really works depending on each situation you're you're in. But, you know, just have a candid conversation and be personable. I think that's what all that matters. Mm-hmm. Very fascinating. This is uh Another show unto itself, uh, but that's all we've got time for today. Really great, and uh, Coach, thank you so much for uh, joining us on the show. It's been really, really tremendous. Uh, both both conversations, as a matter of fact. Uh, let me ask you this, Coach: If people want to follow your work, uh, how can they find you? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter, and my handle is just Co, but spelled the French way, so K E A U X with an underscore. But I pop right up. Um, so, yeah, that's usually the best way to keep up with my work. <laughs> okay. Uh, and uh, for our millions of listeners, if there's anything you'd like for us to cover, or if you just want to leave us a comment, tweet us at the undefeated, hashtag Rodenfellows, and you can also contact each of us directly. Uh, I'm on Twitter at WC Roden. That's W-C-R-H-O-D-E-N. And you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at underscore Alana B underscore. That's underscore A-L-L-A-N-A-B underscore. And I'm also on Instagram at T-T-A-Legend. That's T-T-A-L-E-G-E-E-N-D. Hey, hey thanks for uh, listening to the Road and Fellows podcast. This show is produced by the wonderful Aaron Matthewson. Uh, special thanks to Tarika Foster-Brasby and the entire ESPN digital audio content team. Uh, I'm Bill Roden, and I've been your host. Uh, Get all of the HBCU 468 podcasts, as well as The Right Time with Bomani Jones and Morning Roast, by subscribing to The Undefeated on the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Uh, Join us next week for another scintillating HBCU podcast, and don't forget to make The Undefeated your go-to site for a soulful look at sports and entertainment. And uh, just one more note of 
gratitude for Alana Barfield, who's graduating from Xavier, has been a, a wonderful Roden Fellow. Tiffany Hoyes, graduating from Howard, who's been a wonderful Roden Fellow. Uh, good luck and congratulations to you guys. Uh, don't be strangers. Oh, never. 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 <laughs> never. Yeah. And, uh, and you don't be a stranger, Bill. Bill. That'll be tough. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, everybody else have a great week. We'll talk to you soon. God bless.